Why Like That, a podcast about things we like and occasionally things we don't. I'm Sally Tamarkin. And I'm Aubrey Gordon. Yeah, you are. Aubrey <laughs> Gordon, you are back. Yes, I am. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. I'm so psyched to have you here. The Lighthead, Lighthead Nation is thrilled that you're here. <laughs> Aubrey, what's the vibe? The vibe is, like, I am wrung out. I don't know about you. I feel like I have been burning the candle at both ends. Uh, My energy has been genuinely replenished um, by watching what we're going to talk about today. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm in the world of doing a bunch of media for... um, I have a book coming out that is about a bunch of very serious, very heavy things. And... Uh, I'm talking about those in interviews all day, every day right now. So the idea of watching a movie and talking about a movie with my pal Sally <laughs> feels like the most welcome break in the action that I can imagine. Another reason it's a great break in the action is, you know, we're not watching, we're not talking Criterion Collection here. This is light, this is lighter fare. So it really gives you a chance to just sort of sit back, unwind, decompress. Uh, but we'll we'll get to that movie in a second. I'm really glad that it gave you a break in the action. It has made my entire week to watch it and text you about it. My vibe is uh, it's a little tough to do this podcast with like a new co-host each time. It's tough to do it on my own. Like I wasn't really sure what the future of it was going to be when Rachel left. And what I've come to is like everyone, everyone will tell you that if you want a podcast to be successful, kind of the only thing you have to do is release it regularly. And I'm here to tell you, success is a social construct that (laughs) I refuse to engage with. I really like recording this. Uh, It's hard to do it regularly because of like some structural things now that Rachel is not here to do it with me. So I think like the thing is, I feel like you should keep this in your feed because, you know, if I have other projects, I'll talk about them here. But also I just kind of feel like I'm going to release an episode when it seems like a fun thing to do. Or if like someone, if you message, oh, I like that pod on Instagram and you're like, hey, you should do an episode about whatever. Maybe I'll do that. So that might be sort of annoying. And I know it's not the way you're supposed to do podcasts, but um what can I say? I'm an I'm an iconoclast and I do podcasts however I want to do them. So just like just know that there will probably be future episodes. Um, and if you keep us in your feed, you'll find that out. And also if you follow, oh, I like that pod on Instagram, you'll also find that out. And I, I post on Instagram anyway. I've I've turned into kind of like a Dadaist. Uh, like I, I post polls and they're just like they're becoming increasingly more unhinged. Um, so that's kind of my update on on that that is my vibe that's a good vibe it's a it's an uncertain but open vibe and also listen here's what i'll say i'm gonna be real sad if there is a future in which uh you and i don't end up texting about gay christmas movies and then yelling into a microphone about them i'm gonna be sad about that and i feel like that's not uh, a thing that's gonna go away fully you know? Yeah, no, that that can never go away. I, that will, I feel that like will continue now, in some form, somewhere, somehow, right? Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's no way that that's not going to happen because now it's like, now it's becoming tradition. This is the second time we've talked about queer holiday rom-coms. And if you do something more than once, it's a tradition. And so we're going to be doing this for the next <laughs> 75 years, at least. Let's actually move into our main segment, Aubrey, which is we're going to be talking about the movie looking for her. 
Now, let me just tell you a little bit. Let me just say a few things about this movie. It came out, it's from 2022. It was written and directed and also stars Alexandra Suarez. And here's the little blurb on from IMDb. Taylor is headed home for the holidays and her family is finally ready to meet her girlfriend, Jess. Jess is in quotation marks. The problem is, Jess isn't really her girlfriend. Taylor holds open auditions for someone to play the part for the holidays. Aubrey, where do you want to go from here? Do you want to talk a little <laughs> bit about, <laughs> do you want to talk a little bit about like how this movie, like what happens in the movie, how it unfolds, and then we can get to some of our bigger questions about like, you know, what what is a gay rom-com or do you want to do it like in the opposite way? Let's start with a little grounding because I am guessing that we are going to be the only two people in interacting with this episode in any way who have seen this film. That seems likely. This is sort of a Hallmark style or a Lifetime style, like Christmas movie kind of vibe. Everything's sort of squeaky clean. Everyone's a little bit of a trope. In this film, it opens with, it's a good day for this career woman with blonde hair and a bad day for this flustered <laughs> woman with brown hair. Like, <laughs> that is like that, the general vibe, right? Totally. Yeah, and it, and it, and it, it goes from that to like, it to like, I don't know if you've heard, but opposites attract because we see like alternating like little montages of like how they start their days. And like one of them, Taylor has her blonde hair pulled back real tight. She's got a real defined center part. Whereas Olive, um, you know, has a roommate. She's oversleeping. Her hair is messy. Um, so you're sort of they're They're laying the groundwork for like this is a type A person and a type B person. There's no question that the type B person is also sort of a like queer manic pixie dream girl kind of situation, right? Who sort of flips <laughs> into so your right. life, yeah. right? You're like, so right. yeah, <laughs> totally, yeah. It's just a queer person this time, still the exact same sort of set of tropes happening there. Manic pixie dream gay. Taylor is plugging away at her day job, which she describes as working <laughs> for an online <laughs> newspaper. <laughs> Which, as I'm two so people, I am so glad you said that. Listen, Sally, you have had some career defining <laughs> terms at what could be described as an online newspaper. <laughs> I don't know anyone who describes anything in 2022. Like, this movie is from this year. I don't know anyone who in 2022 describes anything as an online newspaper. Do you? No one has ever said that. The only thing I can, first of all, I wrote that down in my notes because I, <laughs> I just thought it was like such an incredible, uh, like unforced error is like, yeah. <laughs> all you have to do is like Google, like, what is it called when someone works at like the Washington post online or something like that? Um, no one has said online newspaper since like 2009 generously 2000 like i would <laughs> go like 2004 maybe do you know what i mean yeah. like it's like it has been a while a while i also don't even know what an online newspaper is like i, I like that needs some parsing it's like because so what what she's do so taylor seems to be like an editor for like the lifestyle vertical of a website right like it because because they pitch you you hear her and her co-worker who i can't uh, marge. Is marge 
Marge. <laughs> We're going to talk about Marge. <laughs> Put a pin in Marge. Taylor and Marge are like um, trying to come up with articles for the holidays. And um, it seems like they, they are responsible for like the lifestyle or the living section of this online newspaper. Also, ugh. We'll get, we'll get to so much about how media is depicted in this movie. It's <laughs> yeah. wild as hell. Um, so yeah. Taylor is plugging away at her job. Uh, Olive is late for her job for the third time this week and gets fired right before Christmas. Things are not looking up for Olive. Uh, Taylor gets a call from her parents, who we sort of get the impression have had a pretty homophobic response in the past to uh taylor like being a queer person and bringing home partners and whatever um taylor has just gone through a breakup but has not told her parents her parents then call and invite her and her girlfriend to christmas and she gets flustered and says yeah of course even though they're broken up she then takes this issue to her coworker marge who is i'm gonna say maybe right around 50, but is acting the part of a bewildered 70-year-old. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. That is correct. She's behaving like someone who is a smooth 20 years older than the character is supposed to be. And it, it's obviously so that Taylor has like something to play off of. And it's just, it, it's it's just like a, it's a baffling choice. Absolutely. I would say Marge is also not someone who I would read out in the world as a fat person, but is absolutely coded in this movie as the sort of like absolute prototypical fat friend kind of character who's sort of like, let me help you with your life. I got nothing doing. How about I just do some weird <laughs> so meddling true. and encouraging and ah, here we go. <laughs> that's, that's so true. She, um, there is a reference to how like something about like her relationship with, with, with it's probably her husband and how it's like, she's, it's something like, yeah, we don't have anything going on or maybe I can get him to go on this date with me or whatever. You're right. It's, it's totally like, I got nothing. Let me, let me make some romantic magic for you. Yeah. I have no plot line in my own life. Therefore my plot line is facilitating your plot line. Like any good friend where you're like, Meh. totally. Um, she also talks about, I think part of the coding her as a fat friend is also like she met her husband in the personals like 20 years ago, which is also sort of a like, you know, lonely hearts kind of vibe. Yeah, you're right? so right. Yeah, totally. Um, and she's sort of like a little wacky busybody. So she decides that what Taylor needs to do is hire someone to play the part of her ex Jess and Marge without asking, takes out a personal ad with a job offer in it. What? Antisocial behavior. <laughs> you cannot do this. And posts okay. it in the LA Times. <laughs> Not the online newspaper, the, the offline newspaper. The print newspaper, which, as we all know, queer ladies in their 20s are flocking to. Yeah, that's how that's how you meet people. Olive has been fired from her job. She sees this personal ad. She calls uh, Taylor and sets up a time to meet. And Taylor hires Olive to come play the part of her girlfriend at the holidays with her parents. We should also say Olive is an aspiring actor. 
Um, she works as a barista during the day and an actor, you know, as much as she can. At like a diner, which is interesting. Like I, they gave her a job at like kind of a greasy spoon diner versus like a sort of um, cool hipster coffee shop, which I thought was a an interesting choice. It was really interesting because it tries to maintain this kind of hallmarky, lifetimey small town, clean cut small town kind of feel but it's also set in los angeles and i was just like every part of this is weird also side note at one point in the movie so like olive gets fired because her car won't start and she gets to work late and blah 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 blah, all of these things happen and then later in the movie taylor goes to the diner to try and find olive and her old boss is like oh yeah she's in the apartment building next door and i was like what was all the car starting stuff about? There was a lot of car stuff and also a lot of like um, Olive going from place to place in on uh, in a car and on foot that was that didn't make any sense. And I generally find one of the lowest forms of discourse, I think, is like finding continuity errors in movies. Like when people do that, I'm just like, shut up. But. The problem is with this movie, they made a lot of this stuff like very important to the plot. For example, like Olive's car not starting. We see she's in a used Saab, which I think is like a um, a pretty fun detail. She does seem like the kind of person who like is driving around their parents used Saab and is trying to become an actor. Um, and you see her like get caught in the rain and then her car won't start. It's like th- there's a lot of stuff about like Olive and the car. And so it's really hard to not notice the weird continuity things such as like, oh, she's next door to this place. So like, why, why the, why the car shit? It's just, it's distracting as hell. Yeah, totally. I am in the same camp of like continuity errors. Who cares? That's, you know, we're all suspending disbelief. It's whatever. Right. But I think this is a movie that kind of like gives you a light smack in the face (laughs) with those. It's not enough to sting, but it is like, Hi, don't forget continuity error right here, right? Like it kind of jumps out at you. The two actors who play the lead roles in this movie also starred in another, actually, Aubrey, holiday rom-com, also written by Alexandra Swearens. And I wanted to make sure that I was, what I'm about to say is from looking for her and not this other movie. There's a part, speaking of the continuity thing, where her car won't start and then it finally does. And then it starts to rain. And she's like, oh, man. And she gets out of the car and goes into the diner. And I was like, why do you have to get out of the car when it's raining? It was like it was almost, she reacted to the rain by being like, well, now I have to get out of my car and go back into my place of work. But maybe she was going into her house. I don't know. Here's what I think that was about. She's having a low moment. She's just been fired from her job. She needs to have the Hallmark movie trope of also looking like you got rained on. Also, like, or a big car splashed on you or whatever. So they're disregarding (laughs) the fact that it's, like, set in L.A. You know, those famous L.A. downpours. I know. That was the other thing, too. I was like, you want want all the tropes, but none of them, like, fit. It does rain in L.A. That is a thing that happens. But when it happens, there is, like, four days of lead up of people being like, we heard it might rain this week. I don't know. So, like, (laughs) the idea that there would be, like, a surprise (laughs) downpour that, like, no one had heard or talked about, it's, like, uh, strains credulity in my own personal limited experience. Anyway. Hard agree. 
essentially what happens from here. I, I don't know that we need to get into all of the ins and outs from here. That's the essential setup. Taylor then takes Olive home to her parents for the holidays. Uh, as you can imagine, her parents love Olive, who they know as Jess. Um, they really enjoy her. They're like the kinds of parents of gay people who are like overcorrecting and are now being like a little too welcoming, which I was like, oh, this rings true. Got it. I know this. That was very well done. I thought. Perfection. Perfection. Well, we'll talk about that more. Yeah, for sure. Taylor starts to have some feelings about feeling like Olive is more embraced by her parents than she is and feeling like Olive is not getting to see the like hard parts of her relationship with her parents. Also, Taylor develops some real feelings for Olive. Olive develops some real feelings for Taylor. We know this because mostly of sort of like cues from rom-coms, not, I would argue, a particularly strong sort of chemistry between the two of them but because music cues are happening. It, it's hard to describe how little there is playing out between these two people that indicates that they're having feelings for each other, except for the fact that like you, you are watching a movie and you're like, I know how movies work. This is where the two people like each other. And, but there's, it's not, you, you just don't feel it. Yeah. There is one point in my notes where I wrote, they're like sitting on the hearth you know, next to the hearth of the fireplace. Sure. One of them on one side and one of them on the other. And it's supposed to be this like, oh, will they or won't they kind of moment. But again, there's no interpersonal cues about that. And I wrote in my notes, they literally put a fire between them to like make some sort of spark, some sort of chemistry, some sort of something to be like, here's the cue, there's a fire. Oh, look at that. Their faces are close together. You know what happens when that happens. It kind of makes you appreciate how even like not, how like even like not very good media can still do a good job of telling a story about two people who want to fuck. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I, I think that, even in like, I feel like even under the Christmas tree, is that the one we watched last year? And yeah. Like Christmas at With the Ricky ranch. Lake. I feel yeah. like, yeah, I feel like those were even like, I, I was like picking up what they were putting down in terms of like, these people are attracted to each other. And it just, it really, it just like wasn't coming through. And for me, like, and we can talk about this a little bit more later, like what even makes a movie gay? Um, I feel like if you don't feel like the two gay characters are in lust or in love, I, it's like, what are we doing here? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's a rom-com. Like, we need the rom. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We get, and well, we also need the com. Question mark. That also would be good. <laughs> the com would be great. There's a lot that's, you know, iffy here. Uh, Olive and Taylor sort of have their moments that are movie-coded to be romantic moments. They, at one point, finally sort of appear to hook up. But again, this is like a very chaste Hallmark movie kind of approach to a hookup, which is like, they kiss and then they wake up in pajamas. Uh-oh! Yeah, right. exactly. W wake up fully clothed. The next morning, Taylor continues to refer to Olive as Jess in front of her parents. And Olive skips town, returns Taylor's money, and uh, what does she leave? Oh, she leaves a present. She leaves a present. 
which I didn't understand the significance of the present. I, I, it was supposed to be like a big moment. I felt like I was oh. being, it was being it indicated to me that the present was a huge moment and I couldn't understand why. Here's what I think it was. I'm not positive, but here's what I think it was. Um, Taylor's parents at one point ask Olive playing the part of Jess, how they met and mm -hmm. Olive makes up a story kind of on the spot. That's a very meet cute thing. That's like, she was trying on a necklace in a department store and I told her she deserved it. And then we had this whole thing about this necklace and blah, blah, blah. So Olive leaves her a gift and it is a necklace that is like the one in the story. That was my assumption about what that, that was. That sounds right. I, man. But it's genuinely it like. 50 seconds of like music swelling and Taylor staring at this necklace that is like I fast forwarded through parts of did the little 10 second fast yeah. forward through a few of them. I did like yeah. four of those before the part of her just like staring at the necklace was over. It was really something. Olive makes up this story and and the story isn't to me isn't really that touching. It's like she she's like, I saw her and she really wanted this necklace. So I told her she deserves it. And I, I saw in her face, that's the look on her face when she really loves something. And I was like, it's a necklace. What are you talking about? Like the, the whole thing felt so formulaic and phoned in. And I don't, formulaic is like, fine. This is a holiday rom-com. Like yeah, formulaic yeah, yeah, yeah. is sort of like the name of the game. But the story, when Olive first told that story, Taylor seemed really moved. And I, so much so that I was like, Wait, did this like happen? This didn't happen. Like, why is Taylor so moved by like the re the recounting of a thing that of a pretend thing that never happened? I don't know. I maybe I'm just like I I don't I'm missing the um the gene for like understand for for like rom coms or something. But I just I found it to be so like empty. Well, so two things I would say I agree. I found it to be very empty. But I think that meet cute story is kind of like the relationship building in the movie that happens between Taylor and Olive, which is sort of like it has the beats of a meet cute story. So you're supposed to sort of recognize it as like, I saw her across the room and I just knew and I was captivated by her and whatever. I see. I see. I see. That's what you're I think. Right, yeah. But also then I think about like, OK, they're in a department store. What are the department stores that are around at this point? Like Macy's. So they're in a Macy's. You see someone across the like tile sort of walkway in a Macy's and they're looking at a necklace and you're like, my God, like, I just don't, that's not, that doesn't feel to me like a thing that happens to adults in a mall, you know? No, it doesn't. And, and yeah, I, I just, I feel like this, this script needed someone to like underline and be like, can, can you change this to like a boutique in Totally. In Beverly Silver Hill. Or what, I don't or even something. know. Something. Yeah, West Hollywood. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I mean, the department store? I don't know. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Same thing with, like, the um, the fact that Taylor has an answering machine. And again, like, <laughs> I need to be... <laughs> like, you, uh, the, and the answering machine plays a pretty big part because you keep hearing her dad leaving messages for her, inviting her home to Christmas. And it's like, it just, the idea that, like, she has an answering machine that she uses and listens to it. No, I just, no, I, 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 we are, we are past that as a society. We are in a place where when you watch a movie and people text each other, you see a little bubble with the text on the screen. Like that's where we're at. Like we can't go back to answering machines. That's right. Especially not with someone who is supposed to be 
a cool person in her 20s working for an online newspaper. An online newspaper. Exactly. (laughs) No, it was wild. I was like, this is a thing that we stopped having. A like cordless phone, not even with voicemail, but with a message machine. Right. That's right. That's yeah. Right. Just every part of it. I was like, why are we in 1998? Why is that what's happening here? So Taylor, uh, sorry, so Olive bounces, leaves the present. And then Taylor confesses to her mom that she, you know, really screwed things up with Olive, who she continues to refer to as Jess, and then finally really, really confesses that Olive isn't Jess. And her mom perplexingly says, I knew, I saw your pictures on like social media and I knew what Jess looked like. And that person is not Jess, but you seemed really happy. So I didn't say anything. Uh, And then her mom encourages her to like, go make it right with Olive slash Jess, which she does not then do. (laughs) She like waits a weirdly long time. New Year's comes and goes. And if we know anything about holiday rom-coms, we know that like it's all building up to them getting together on New Year's Eve. So what the hell are we doing here? New Year's comes and goes. Olive spends New Year's with her roommate playing like Jenga, I think, uh, and like hanging out with their cats. And Taylor spends New Year's dressed up for New Year's, but sitting in her high rise office working on New Year's Eve. Like, she's got very evening makeup on, and then she's sitting in her office. We really have to talk about how much this movie is doing to to show us who Taylor is as, like, an uptight type A person. Because there's a lot of stuff about how she works too much. She's a perfectionist. There's a lot of stuff around food, which I thought was, like, a weird... Really weird. That was, like, not really well dealt with. Um, But, okay, so she spends New Year's Eve alone working... And then sort of unprompted, as far as I can recall, you tell me if you remember the prompt for this. She decides to go back to the diner, ask the diner owner who fired Olive if she was there. The diner owner says, no, she's in her apartment building next door. She runs to the apartment building. Olive's roommate, Kai, who we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, opens the door and is like, Taylor, of course I'll help you find Olive. I love love is what she says. I love love is what Kai says. Absolutely. I love love. Great. Um, And Taylor then goes to track down Olive, doesn't find her at the place that Kai said she would be, and then sees her waiting for the bus. And in what is supposed to be a big tension filled moment, Uh, The bus pulls up just as Taylor sees Olive at the bus stop. And then the bus pulls away and Olive is still waiting for her. And they like have a whole conversation and, you know, talk about what went wrong and then decide to give it a shot. The energy that is between them in this scene is similar to if I ran into my dentist on the street. I've never seen people seem, two people seem so indifferent and sort of like it's like the, they have they have this like meet cute where the the vibe is like you would go home and be like oh yeah I guess I ran into today anyway like it's so they don't seem to be invested in seeing each other at all in fact Taylor and I, I wasn't sure if this was a thing they were trying to do with uh with like her personality but instead of just running across the street to Olive she 
goes to the end of the block where there's a crosswalk. And then, and it's like, wait, this is supposed to be like the big culmination of this whole thing. She go, she, But instead of running across the street, she goes to the crosswalk, crosses, they approach each other and they have the most like, Olive's like, yeah, I booked that job. Like she was auditioning for something. Well, I should go see you later. And I'm like, what are we doing? Like, I, is this, are you getting together after like, is this like a, a, a rom-com or is it, or is it not? Like the, the vibe was so blah. And it's like, what are, why are we watching this then? Like, what are you giving me? I mean, I also feel like I should be like cards on the table. Uh, I am not, as we discussed the last time you and Rachel and I did this together, I am not a big rom-coms person and I'm not a big Christmas movies person. So like take all of this with that gigantic grain of salt, right? Yeah, that's fair. Um, so just the same goes for me definitely like cards on the table it's not my genre but also I feel like I have seen significantly better examples of this genre right um and there's a bunch of this that feels like I don't know uh cardboard cutouts of the thing rather than like a set that someone built do you know what I mean sort of emotionally it feels like there is a flatness to what's happening here a flatness yeah you're totally right you're totally right yeah it's sort of perplexing it's sort of perplexing but also feels again like it is spiritually aligned with tello and with sort of a number of the other sort of like um attempts to mainstream queer romance which usually means fitting it into a very very straight template Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, totally. This film resists that in some ways and then just goes all in on it in other ways. I can't remember. Was it about looking for her that I said it had a, like an is this all there is type of vibe to it? Yes, you sure did. You watch this and you're just like, so I guess like and and I it's, you know, let me not do the thing where it's like just because it's a queer movie, I make it responsible for like doing and saying all the things I want queer media to do and say but there's something that's so sort of uh assimilationist and depressing about the thing of like you know you get you 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 have your tidy little story you get your parents to accept you and then everyone keeps it moving it just was like is that what I don't just I just don't don't know what we're doing here and and like uh I will say before we decided to watch this movie I originally had us watching this movie called season of love which is a tello movie and I watched it and the thing about tello movies is that they seem to be incredibly low budget we watched a couple of them last year you should definitely go back and listen to that episode um and it's like to the point where you know for example the like uh the sets like look unfinished and the dialogue isn't like in the right place like it's just they they have like an amateurish quality to them but what I will say is that it's kind of like watching like a really not good team like a a team that's like not very talented but is very scrappy and you watch them playing a game and you're like man they don't have like the the skill or the technique but they they're really hungry like they really want it versus like this movie which is like um you know there's a bigger budget there's there's obviously more kind of like expertise around filmmaking that went into it but it's just really flat and it's like what what does anyone here want what is the conflict and it's it's like in in some ways at least with tello like and and actually like 
this would have been an interesting one to uh, contrast with Season of Love, which I told you I thought was very hard to watch. You texted me, and I believe your instruction was, don't watch Season of Love. I'll find something else. Yes, exactly. If you haven't watched it already, don't. But then after watching this, I was like, you know, here's the thing about what Season of Love does have. Season of Love has characters who are very in and of their queer community and lives and has characters who are really like hot for each other and attracted to each other and have some chemistry. And, you know, I I wouldn't go back on what I said. Like, I, I think it's like, tough to watch um i think it's like low budget all that stuff but they're they're just there's a um there's like a a real that there is a a, like a hunger to tell a queer story that i don't get from uh looking for her and the season of love is it's it's a it's a queer holiday rom-com so it's like it it you know, it could have all the same trappings of like tropey and it does, it has really tropey nonsense, but whatever. The point is like, I say all that to just say, um, you're describing it as like having a flatness is, um, very, very accurate. Just has a flatness. The very ending of this movie is Olive and Taylor pull up in a car together in front of Taylor's parents' house And Taylor says, how are you feeling? And Olive says, I'm feeling nervous. And Taylor says, they're going to love you. And she reintroduces Olive as Olive to her parents. And they go, it's so nice to meet you. And it's this weird shtick that everyone sort of buys into where I'm like, but you already met and you already like this person. Even if they told you their name was something else. What? It, it's it's one of those things where you're like, man, this 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 is going to be awkward no matter how they go about it. But they chose the awkwardest of all the choices and but no one's acting like it's awkward. It was it was really weird. There's one other thing that I realize just in terms of like a little thing that I find extremely funny in this movie. Um, there is a point at which. Taylor has decided to hire someone to play the role of Jess She's looking on dating apps. This is a really perplexing thing to me about like, I'm offering to pay someone to play this role, but I'm going to go look for them on dating apps. You know, the place that people go for job offers, dating apps. Great. (laughs) She makes a spreadsheet of some of (laughs) the people who she thinks are candidates. There is one column in the spreadsheet and it's just like names of potential dates or whatever. She writes down names of people on this dating app as she's swiping on them, which I'm like, how then do you get back to them? What is the plan here? I don't understand. All of the names on the list are real names, but when you put this particular collection of real names together, it sounds like the made upiest list of names. Maybe <laughs> Please ever. remind me what they are because I don't remember. Fernanda, Meryl, <laughs> Lily. Claudia and Gilly. So we get both Lily and Gilly. <laughs> Lily and Gilly. Yeah, if you're making a list, it goes in your notes app. Like if if all you have is one column of information, it's not a spreadsheet. No, you got to put it in a 2009 MacBook Air in a spreadsheet with like <laughs> one of those snap-on plastic covers. Come on. 
<laughs> Sally, you're talking like someone who's never worked for an online newspaper before. I know. I know. It is. I can't believe I'm, I'm not honoring my past as someone who works at a. This is the last thing. Sorry. This is the last thing of the little things that is also very funny and very weird. When Taylor and Olive as Jess first set foot in the parents' home and they're going like, oh, hi, I'm Jess. It's so good to meet you. Blah, 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 doing all their intros and whatever. Immediately, their parents point to the ceiling and go, mistletoe. You know what that means. And then watch and wait for their daughter to make out with her girlfriend in their presence. And I was just like, what is happening and why? What is happening? Who made this choice? Is it happening? Even in the realm of like parents who are trying to demonstrate too hard that they are accepting, this feels like uh you know a level beyond a step beyond it was a bizarre moment um another another thing that is uh, was a very strange choice to me was they th there's this thing that is kind of an ongoing like frame which is that marge pitches an article of like holiday date ideas and the date ideas are like wear ugly Christmas sweaters, make snow angels, pick out a Christmas tree. I just want to say like, as an editor, like that story would never get published because that's just doing things in during the holiday season. That's not, you can't be like, I have some really good ideas for what you should do with your day. You should get out of bed. You should wash your hands. You should put on pants. Like telling someone to buy a Christmas tree during the Christmas season is not a date idea. Unless you were doing a piece that was like, turn your errands into dates. Oh, see, that's a good pitch. Which is really kind of what it feels like, right? But like, that's not what they're yeah. doing here. They're like, ooh, have you thought about picking out a Christmas tree? Like, <laughs> yes, yes. People have thought about a Christmas tree. The thing that I think happens that convinces Taylor to go find Olive is that she like is looking over the article and she realizes that like, they've done all of the date things like inadvertently, whatever. Okay. So, but here's the thing. They go to a Christmas tree farm. No, they don't. They don't. They go to like a forest and the dad has like a little saw and they're going to cut down their own tree, which Aubrey, you can speak on behalf of all Gentiles. Is this a thing <laughs> that people do? There are places where you can go cut your own Christmas tree. Those are places okay. that exist. They're weirdly hard to come by. Okay. That didn't appear to be what they were setting up here. Cause then there's like an entrance and you pay somebody and whatever. It really did. The way that they shot it is they didn't have any kind of establishing shot or anything like that to be like, here's the little sign where you go in there. Here they are paying the person. It really did just look like them walking through a forest and deciding to cut down a tree. And there and there's all this stuff where the mom is like, um, she keeps saying no to every tree. It's it's a whole to do picking out the tree. Okay, then we see them decorating the tree, and it is the most obviously fake plastic tree I've ever seen in my whole life. And it's like you can't make a whole thing of it and then do like it's a Walgreens. It's a tree from Walgreens. It might as well have been one of the like pink tinsel ones. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it might as well have been like a white one or a pink one or something like, but you don't even need to make it green at this point. It was really wild. It was really wild. And all of the ornaments they're putting on are 
these like again like these store-bought ones from Rite Aid no shade to Rite Aid ornaments but the point is if you've been celebrating Christmas with your family and it's like such a big deal that you go cut down your own tree presumably there would be some um some like ornaments that have uh that have some sort of sentimental value or something like that i don't know i i, I was just like i i don't know what we're doing here i think you had a really good question in prep for this episode so i'm going to ask it to you to, to get us started because i think it's a really good question do you think this is a gay movie and like how gay do you think it really is how much of it rings true to you as a queer person as like some kind of representation of queerness there were some things here and there. Um, I think the dealing with dealing with like parents who were like really uncool about you being gay, but have since come around and are now sort of obsessed with proving to you how cool they are with you being gay. I that like uh, that resonated, um, and like the the sort of like angstiness that Taylor has being at home and and sort of being made to engage in a feel-good holiday thing when they haven't really recovered from their parents like shitty reaction to them coming out I thought that was well done and interesting and relatable for sure yeah I would say on that same note there's a point at which they're at like Christmas dinner and they're talking to Aunt Tammy and talking about how they met and all of this sort of stuff. And Aunt Tammy just heaves a heavy sigh and goes, I should have ended up with a woman. And I was like, so that also feels real? Like the number 100%. of like older straight family members who go like, man, you really got it figured out. You don't have to deal with all this other stuff. You could share clothes. You could blah, blah, blah. Like a weird, superficial sort of understanding of what's happening. Yes. I And I wrote that down as well as like... Uh, that that that's a thing that's a thing that happens for sure they also have an another thing that feels like it happens which is sort of there's an uncle who i think they're trying to convey as like kind of sex pest material but to me yeah he's a creep it, it really read to me as hungry cannibal more <laughs> than sex pest like this guy's particular performance of it was so so odd it was such an odd set of choices yeah it, it was really over the top and in, in a movie where everyone it it seems like everyone was told to do less he was told like it's never enough do more and then in the next take do more than that and the next take do more than that that was like that was really weird i i was like not i was not feeling that whole portrayal of like the creepy sex pest uncle at all um but like I, both I think of like, those yeah it feels like what you're honing in on here is that is something that I felt, which is I think the the most resonant part of this to me as a queer person was the reactions, the overcorrecting and undercorrecting of family reactions. I was like, yes, everyone has a hard time calibrating to like That's how to be yeah. a person again once they know this thing about you. That is exactly it. And I think that like, you know, as a queer person, and I think I speak for a lot of us, there's like a hunger to see queer people and queer relationships portrayed in a certain way. So when you see that's like, oh, it's a queer holiday rom-com, you know, it's cool to see the like angsty stuff and the family reaction stuff, but you're also like, I think hoping for 
if not some hot girl on girl action, like just like some nice, strong vibes between two people in the way that like you get in, not that like, not that anyone is out here watching like straight Hallmark holiday rom-coms because of like how well they portray like lust and love. But I, I do think that like you are hoping for some of the like connection and romance that you see in like, quote unquote, straight movies. And it's annoying when you don't get that. And, and to me, that's like, why I, I was asking the question, like, what makes a movie gay? Because like, what does make a movie gay? Like, what, 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 why does, does this even, besides the family stuff, which I think is well done, like, you don't ever see, you know, not every movie has to do everything, but you don't see any of these people as, they don't read as, like, queer people to me. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I would say the person who, well, so two things. One, the person who read most credibly as, like, a kind of queer person that I recognize was Kai, the roommate felt the most like someone who I was like, oh, I kind of know a person kind of like that. But even in that case, it felt like a real caricature of that kind of person, sort of doormatty, uh, like sweetheart, encouraging, all of that sort of stuff. A lot of the fat friend kind of tropes getting applied, totally. right? Totally. To like the one sort of gender nonconforming person in the movie. Yeah, that that's like, that's the other thing is that like the, uh, the like, thinness and feminess of the two main characters like the the normative genderedness of them cannot be overstated and um it's it's enough already it's enough it's we, we've it's, seen it we've done it as femi may be femier than the leads in the l word right like that's the level that we're operating at and i will say I am sure that there are like extremely high femme thin people couples out in the world. I have known maybe a couple of them ever. Um, but most of the couples that I know are like pretty strong mixed height, pretty strong mixture of gender presentations, different gender presentations from day to day sometimes. Like there is sort of this... Um, it it feels like there is an underpinning here that is a belief on the part of marketers or directors or whoever is making sort of this set of decisions. That is, we can only tell a queer story if the queer people in it look like straight people to straight people, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Whether or not that's totally, an authentic exactly. expression of their own gender expression. But like, it is kind of wild to me that, again this kind of couple is almost the only kind of couple that makes it into movies like these, right? Like, again, like very high femme, very young, cis women, uh, no gender nonconformity, here we go. Uh, and it is a minority of couples that I know and like queer people that mm -hmm. I know. And that yeah. feels really odd and really noticeable. And it feels like it's, coming from a place of fear or some kind of cultural mandate or something. But that is the part that makes this sort of most unrecognizable to me. I'm down for like a Hallmark sort of Christmas movie rom-com set of tropes. It would be great if somebody in this movie were like non-binary or, 
like identified as anything other than a cis woman or just presented in a like butchier or less gender conforming kind of way or whatever. Just like any kind of difference around gender would be really, really welcome here and just feels missing from this as a genre. Right. Like not even just from this particular movie, but sort of across the board. I think like you've you've hit the nail on the head in terms of like what makes a movie gay and like why doesn't this feel recognizably queer to me and it's like whether or not this couple is representative of like couples in the real world like I'm sure I'm sure they are it it's it's more like even though there's not like a, a deep long history of like queer cinema as there is of like non-queer cinema we've still already seen this story and we still don't need to see it again and keep seeing it over and over and over and over which is you know normatively femme cis thin characters uh falling in love with each other um and if that if that is going to be the story that we're gonna be seeing again and again and again then um I just I want more from it like you know I'm not I'm not I'm not out here being like these movies shouldn't be made and we shouldn't watch them and stuff like that I mean I they don't all need to be made but like but if we're gonna if we're gonna if we're gonna make them like let 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 them be like a little bit more interesting or more or, or like let them do something more than what they're trying to do which you know it's possible that like maybe this comes back to um you and I aren't like rom-com people and not holiday rom-com people or whatever but it definitely um it definitely felt like weirdly I just keep going back to flat and, and, and what's kind of interesting to me about it is that like the, um, like I'm, I'm assuming that like Alexandra Swearens who wrote and directed the movie and started and also wrote, directed and started in this other movie called city of trees, which is also co-starring. Like it's also a, a holiday rom-com between her and the actor who played Taylor. Like I, I have to assume that like that, that Alexandra Swearens is like interested in like telling queer stories and because she's do she's now she's done it twice. Um, but it's like, and, and I don't know the landscape. Maybe it's really hard to get a movie made if you want to do something subversive and you end up like starting your own production company called Tello or, or, or whatever. But there's just like, it's just, it, it, there's just something like missing. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. And there are also these sort of little moments with Kai where like, uh, we learn that Kai has been like covering Olive's rent for some time, which I'm like, Ooh, that's a situation. And there's a point at which while Olive is rushing out the door to get to work late again, Kai shouts after her like rents due on Thursday and the door closes. And then Kai goes, good job. Good for saying that. Good job. They, they work up the courage to like say something to Olive about the rent being due. Totally. And I was like, that sort of resonates, but again, feels like a weird caricature of this kind of like doormatty kind of person that I was just like, don't, this is a person who's like talking and has things to say and like has a life of their own. And I would right. like to know even just like their pronouns or their last name or what their job is that allows them to cover the rent for two people in Los Angeles. Whoa. Nice work. If you can get it, Kai. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like all of that sort of stuff just felt really missing. And also I think Kai was one of the most sort of 
warmest and charismatic presences on screen. The other person that I found really just likable and I wanted to watch more of them was the person who played the dad, Taylor's dad. I was really charmed by his deeply weird choices that felt like um, at first I felt like it was a weird performance. And then I was like, no, he's being like a weird dad. I got to stop everything and do like take off my glasses to do a Rhett Butler impression for you. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I also had an initial reaction to him where I was like, what is this guy doing? I was like, oh, he's being a weird dad. Cool. Got it. Yeah, yeah. he's doing a really good job of being a weird dad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, man, it's I, I. Part of me is like, well, I'm just like a queer, I think a queer person made this movie and now we're just saying all this bad stuff about it. But it's like, it's very, um, it like, it just, it, it, there, there's no way to get around the fact that it just doesn't feel very queer. And one of the other things that is a big, um, a big part of that, that I just realized is that you never, why we don't we we get a couple of scenes of olive and kai in their apartment hanging out and they never talk about dating or taylor or anything which is another thing that just doesn't not even one time that i can recall just kai just pops up one day and knows who taylor is when they see taylor who is a person they've never met the end that's it i i will say that like city of trees which is from a few years ago and is also starring these same two actors also by Alexander Swearens, also a holiday rom-com I think is much better and there's more chemistry between them and it's just much better done I think like it's it's you can it's definitely uh like lower budget or whatever um which which kind of makes me like now the thing I'm inventing in my head is that like because this movie, this movie is obviously a little bit more professionally done, even though there's some ridiculous things like the fake Christmas tree and stuff like that. It it, it has a, uh, it has like the sheen of a of a studio movie, whereas City of Trees doesn't. It has the sheen of like a student movie. And so the thing I'm inventing in my head is that the creator, um had to do things that like a studio wanted or someone who was funding it wanted and City of Trees, which maybe where she didn't have to do that. It's a little raw and has a little more um, like heart to it, which I, again, I'm making up because I don't want to just talk about how bad this movie was. I want to try to find like the silver lining. I think our critiques of looking for her are not dissimilar from critiques that you and I have had of many other movies in this genre. Right. It's true. Um, So to my mind, this feels less like a critique of individual choices being made in this movie. Although there are plenty that you could make in this movie, right. Critiques of individual choices and more a sort of concern about like, why is this the one and only kind of this story that we get? Totally about queer people on the holidays, right? Um, And more about, like, of all the ideas in all the world, of all the queer stories in all the world, there are plenty of people coming up with incredible queer stories out uh, all over the place. And yet, still, we are just getting this one kind of story that is classed and racialized and gendered and um, kind of, like 
de-queered <laughs> in a lot of totally. like really important and similar ways. Like I think my response here is a little bit to looking for her and a lot bit to why is this the only thing we get? That's exactly right. That's a that's a really good point. And that also makes me feel better about what we're doing here. And I think you're totally right. I think you're totally right. Um, I just want to say like, there's a review in gaycitynews.com, an online newspaper um, about this movie. And I just want to read part of it. Uh, the modest, affable lesbian holiday rom-com looking for her. And I just want to say modest and affable and lesbian are very good uh, descriptors for this movie. Modest and affable. Um, Blah, blah, blah. However, predictable and transparent is never unpleasant. And I think never unpleasant is like a really, it's like such incredibly faint praise. But also a key criterion for making a holiday rom-com. Never unpleasant. Can't be unpleasant. It's true. And I think, you know, a lot of times when you watch anything with a queer with a storyline about a queer relationship, you're like, oh, is this gonna be fucking like she ends up like you know, she she actually can't stay with this person who she's in love with because of like societal expectations or is one of them going to get like get murdered? Like, you're just like, can, can I not like see that right now? And this doesn't do that. Like this is, uh, it is never unpleasant. You don't have to worry about some, some weird thing where like homophobia ends up being like a huge part of the storyline. And that's nice. That's something. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. I'm curious about for better or worse, did you have parts of this movie that you especially enjoyed? Um, I enjoyed when the ex, the actual Jess, comes to the door. And you see, because Taylor kind of puts on, so Jess has left, the real Jess has left a bunch of her stuff at Taylor's apartment. And Taylor one night is like drinking wine alone in her apartment. She gets kind of drunk and she puts on Jess's clothes and like is looking in the mirror and is like kind of pretending to be Jess. She's like, hey, how you doing? And then the real Jess shows up to get her stuff back and says in the exact same inflection as Jess did, hey, how you doing? And, you know, that was funny. I thought Jess, I thought the portrayal of Jess was funny where Jess was like, why don't you talk to me anymore? Just because we broke up, it doesn't mean we can't talk. And Taylor's like, isn't it, isn't that exactly what it means? And like, I thought that, you know, I enjoyed that. I thought that resonated. And then there's a montage when Taylor is interviewing people in the bar to play Jess. And it was very overdone, I felt like. I felt like everyone was kind of chewing the scenery. And it was like, I was like, who directed this scene? Because it seems like a different director than directed the rest of the movie. But it was fun. I mean, it was kind of ridiculous, but it was kind of fun. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I would say this is just a fun one. Uh, there is a point at which uh, Taylor's mom offers Olive like a chocolate croissant that she has just made. And Olive for some reason gets awkward and needs an out from the situation and goes, uh, I just forgot. I have to use the bathroom. And the movie doesn't think that's a funny thing to say when someone says, do you want a croissant? But I would argue that's a very funny response. Do you want a croissant? I forgot. I have to go to the bathroom. What? Yeah. There is also in that same scene, she bites into the chocolate croissant. She's like, Ooh, there's chocolate inside. Now, if there's one thing, 
I'll I know about chocolate croissants is that you know they're chocolate croissants. They're not the same shape as regular croissants. And there's and you can chocolate kind of coming out the, the ends. Yeah. Yeah, often. often. And she's like surprised. It's it's really weird. Like this movie has a lot of um a lot of moments that feel like they had to be in there for the dialogue, but don't really like make sense. I realized we didn't talk about the king of those moments, which is Taylor teaches Olive how to roast a marshmallow. And Olive responds oh as gracious. someone who is not familiar with this as a custom. Which as as a concept, even. As a concept, even. Absolutely. Which, listen, all kinds of people eat all kinds of foods. All kinds of people have all kinds of different family backgrounds. This appears to be two people who grew up celebra- celebrating Christmas in the United States. And even if you have not roasted a marshmallow yourself, this is in so many movies and TV shows that the idea that someone would be like, oh, you put a marshmallow on a stick and put it near a fire and then it tastes better. What wouldn't be like a radical surprising concept. It's explicit, right. I mean, it's it's like, she's like, so I just put it on the end of the stick and put it in the fire. Yep. I mean, that's actual dialogue. Yeah. And then they're like, oh no, you burned it. It's okay. It's good when it's burnt. Like, what are we doing? Olive's favorite movie is Gone with the Wind. No, it's Marge's. Oh, it's it's. it's- I thought it was Marge's favorite movie. And she was like, you need a Rhett Butler. And like, da, 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 da. I didn't think it was Olive's favorite movie, you know? But then doesn't, no, but doesn't Olive say it's her favorite one? And she said, and then like, at the end, she's like, I finally watched Gone with the Wind. Do I have that wrong? I really thought that the first Gone with the Wind reference came from Marge. It did. But but then I thought there was, but then I thought also Olive said, because they're having that conversation in the car. Like, what what's your favorite movie? And Olive says Gone with the Wind. And Taylor's like, oh, I've never seen it. Or I've seen only seen part of it. I could be wrong. Either way, Gone with the Wind, it's 100% too many references to Gone with the Wind in 2022. Particularly when, like, you know, I- I'm not here to say that, like, the movies you watch have to be consistent with, like, your morals and stuff like that. But we we must acknowledge the fact that Gone with the Wind is a movie that unproblematically presents the enslavement of Black people as, like, not not just presents it unproblematically, but presents it as like a kind of a quaint Southern tradition. And this is something that it is known and has been, oh my God, Miles, is known and has been said about Gone with the Wind for um, decades. So the fact that it's coming up so unproblematically so many times in a movie in 2022 is a bananas choice to me. And in a movie with zero black people at any point, and in a movie where they're trying to say, like, the movie really seems to be drawing a parallel between Olive, the disheveled, sort of, like, aspiring actor who's struggling to keep a job and pay rent, with Rhett Butler, Clark Gable's character in Gone with the Wind, and there is just... No parallel that I can see or think of that would make that make sense. It doesn't just come up in passing. In the very in the, the second to last scene in the movie where they get back together, Taylor's like, you're Rhett Butler and I'm Scarlet. And she's like, no, you're Ash- Ashley. No, no, oh, no. Right, Ashley's the other guy. No, no, no. She says, you're Rhett Butler and I'm Ashley. 
And then Olive goes, no, you're Scarlet. And she gets like flustered. And it's like, oh, right. Oh my God, that makes even less sense. Oh my God. I'm like, now I'm like even more frustrated. It's wild. It's It's wild. wild. It's wild. I have like 1,000 more tiny things. Like, why are Taylor's pajamas so loose everywhere, but so tight on her butt? Great question. Why does Olive ask Taylor if she wants Coco? Taylor says no. And then Olive brings back Coco for both of them. And Taylor's like, thanks. This is delicious. Like, what's happening with any of this? What is happening? It's a ton of little things like that, but nothing of any real impact. Yeah, fair. I mean, we should say we were both sort of appalled by a couple shots of Taylor where her makeup is not blended and she has these giant kind of orange streaks going horizontally on her cheeks, which is just like, it doesn't. And as I was saying to Aubrey, like before we started recording, I once had a job where I worked on a movie set. And one of the things I learned is that on a movie set, every time you're between takes, which happens dozens of times, at least it did in my experience, someone runs onto the set, a a makeup or hair person or both runs up onto the set and like fixes the actor to make sure that like there isn't a hair out of place and everything looks good. And I just, I don't understand how Taylor was allowed to have two bright orange streaks on her face for like multiple scenes. Well, and her eye makeup. What, 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 how? Uh, Oh God, I don't think I even noticed her eye makeup. Same thing, the lack of blending. I mean, I think they were trying to make her look more cheekbonesy and severe um which is oh, right, right, often right. part of a sense. career lady look right. in movies you know those career ladies and their cheekbones and their severity but you can also have some severity and blend it right on out buds <laughs> blend it right on out turns out you don't have to just use the blush stick and then just leave it there you could apply a brush you know i think like that's it for looking for her i feel like we've covered it um yeah. And if you have anything you would like to say about looking for if you watched it, because um, I posted on our Instagram, I think yesterday or the day before that if you want to watch it uh, before we talk about it, you should because this is coming out next week. So maybe some people did watch it. Um, it's available to rent uh, on iTunes. And then there's also a very what looks like a really shady link that might give you a virus on YouTube where you can try watching it for free. But, you know, do that at your own risk. Okay, let's move on to a nice thing to end on. Uh, why don't I do mine really quick and then you can do yours because I think yours is be a little more fun. Uh, I started watching this show called The Society on Netflix, which uh, is a show about these teens in suburban Connecticut who one day discover that like they are all alone in the world. And um, not only is their town totally empty of anyone but the people in their high school they their t- they also cannot leave their town all the exits are like blocked and they don't really know why or how and they have to sort of create a society and i started watching it and was like man this is pretty bad but you know i love a teen drama i love a, a sort of post apocalyptic thing like or, or like dystopian thing like, let me see what's up with it and i'm now on episode 5 of season 1 and i'm like this is the best show i've ever seen no one's doing it like the society um and it's like, it's, it's very like, it's, it's kind of chaotic in a lot of ways, but, and there's a lot of ridiculous shit, but, and in the beginning I was texting one of my friends, I was like, you should watch this. Cause I know you like maximalist kind of bad teen things. And now I'm watching it and I'm like, you should watch this because you like 
good television that you can't stop watching and is a work of art. So that is the society on Netflix. And, um, I, I would, I, it's a nice thing to binge. Uh, and if you need some, some watching for the holidays, it's disturbing. Um, but you know, sometimes I, I feel like, you know, one can make an argument that, you know, watching disturbing things can be, um, you know, cathartic. So, so get into it, get into the society on Netflix. I think there's a couple seasons. Uh, and if you've ever seen it, please write to me and tell me, uh, Aubrey, what is your nice thing to end on? Uh, well, I am down in Los Angeles visiting family and I got to go last week to watch, uh, my nephew has gotten very into fencing um, and I got to go see his like fencing lesson for a group of 10 to 12 year olds who are all like learning how to fence. Uh, and I thought it was going to be cute and fun and sweet. And I'd get to see my nephew do something that he really likes and is getting good at and all that kind of stuff. And what I ended up witnessing was an instructor who was, it's unclear to me whether or not this was intentional. It really did seem to be just this instructor style was to talk about fencing and strategy and form and all of those sorts of things in terms of relationships. So his number one point of guidance for the lesson I was there for is you can't go into fencing with a plan because your job is to respond to your opponent. So your job is to pay as close of attention as possible to what this other person is doing and to sort of glean what you can learn from them and how you can anticipate their actions. And I was like, this is sort of a really lovely set of like training and social skills as a way to strategy, but also a nice little counterpoint in a room full of, you know, uh, people who are presenting as preteen boys, right? Uh, to be a little bit of like, hey, pay attention to some other people. How about that? How about you look at what other people are doing? It was just like a really lovely, like relationship education kind of exercise. And like, I'll tell you what, my nephew is really taking it to heart and is sort of like, okay, you notice how this person does this and then does this? Yeah, that's information you could use. And like, blah, 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 blah. And I really noticed this thing. And he's been planning Christmas presents for everybody in our family and is like, I've noticed this thing about Pammy. She really likes this and this. And so I'm going to get her this. Like, it has really tuned him in in a different way, just hearing like a cool adult be like, you should pay attention to other people and tune into them has really sort of shifted his viewpoint in a deeply, deeply lovely way that I really am appreciating. I love that. Oh man. It's, and I also feel like teaching kids lessons, it, like life lessons, it goes better in the context of like sports or something. You can't just be like, listen, what you have to do is think about other people, like in life, like think about what they want, think about their feelings. You can't do that. It has to be like in the context of like a sport or a game or something. Totally. And it wasn't like a corrective to bad behavior. It was just a like, hey, everybody needs to learn this thing. We're all going to learn it now. Here we go. Like it was really fantastic. Oh, I love that. And he I left so much. the lesson just buzzing with observations about his other classmates and like, you know, like this person's really good at offense and I've worked really hard at defense, but I could really learn from her about how to do better offense. So I need to pay closer attention to what she's doing. And this other kid, like it was just really incredible to see that kind of influence just take root immediately. 
that's so precious. It's the kind of thing that also makes me um, less, it's, it's like, okay, fine. I guess I'll have some hope for the future. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Oh, I Like That. Please rate us and review us if you want or don't. Follow us on Twitter at, at Oh, I Like That Pod. Email us at Oh, I Like That Pod at gmail.com. I am at YR Fat Friend on social media, and Sally is at Sally T. This episode of Oh, I Like That was produced by Sally and Aubrey and edited by Aram. Amber Seeger designed our logo. Hey, yo. Hey, yo.